Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Asia chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. I'm Dexter and this is the fourth episode in our podcast series leading up to our new Now Next conference. This year's theme is Reimagining News as countries look to reopen and we look to reconnect. Following is Carrie Lindberg, who will be interviewing Linda Akutagawa, President and CEO of Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics, or LEAP. Doing this work now for nearly 30 years, and I'll be honest, when I first started, I thought maybe a year, maybe, you know, at most. Along the way, working at LEAP, I just realized that it enabled me to, you know, that I, I, I could I could actually, I guess you could say I could make a career out of this and that I could make this part of my daily full-time work that what I would do would contribute to empowerment and creating change better for not only just our communities, but all of society here. I mean, I think, you know, what we do is is important. And I believe that having diverse leaders is important that and that, you know, we can each see that there's someone that looks like us that that's out there. And especially, you know, given the times that we're in right now, you know, having having the Asian American leaders, the Pacific Islander leaders that we have, um, during this time of anti-Asian hate has been so important. Can you break down what is the importance of board representation kind of for AAPI members, especially when hate crimes have been on the rise? I think it's important for individuals as well as groups of people. So for example, you know, incidences that may happen to an individual, you know, that individual typically belong to a community, is part of a family, has an employer and works somewhere or or has a business. When you think about the interconnections of all that, it's not just an individual's problem. It becomes an issue that communities and workplaces and businesses, policymakers and society really needs to grapple with. I think people want to know that somebody cares. And that's why I think representation becomes important. It doesn't have to be somebody, only Asians have to care. No, I mean, I don't think it's that. We need everybody to care. But I think it helped to have someone that they know, hey, understands what I'm going through. It's one thing to just have somebody who is going to care, but it's some. there's a different level of different when you know that somebody who looks like you you know, has a different level of understanding than somebody who may consider themselves an ally care. I think that's why representation on any kind of board is going to be important, whether it's a nonprofit board, it's a government board, or it's, uh, you know, a corporate board. Have you faced additional challenges in creating this pipeline of AAPI leaders uh, through your work at LEAP, kind of in this post-COVID world as we see hate crimes on the rise? You know, I'm going to say there's an irony in all that has been happening and maybe a silver lining to it, too. What I mean by that is the anti-Asian hate, the racism and the discrimination that Asian Asians, not just Asian Americans, but Asians across the world have been facing as a result of 
COVID-19 and the pandemic, at least here in the U.S., we're seeing that it has actually brought to attention, really, the issues facing the community. Um, and interestingly, from a multinational corporation, U.S.-based corporations, you know, just corporate America in general, we're seeing actually that there has been attention raised on our communities. If anything, it has actually forced or, or has really spurred corporate America to really think about what are they doing to support Asian American communities? What are they doing to support Asian and Asian, Asian workers? Um, employer employees, you know, whether it's here in the U.S. or you know anywhere globally, as as many of them have global operations, and it's also interestingly really forcing them to look at their leadership. For a long time, I think people just assumed that Asians were okay, that we were we were just well represented, and we're you know moving along in our career, and we're doing okay, and we don't need any attention, any development opportunities. I think when they started to actually really look at their numbers, realized that they needed to really do some focusing on their Asian talent as well too. And we're seeing, at least from a LEAP perspective, we're seeing that there's increased interest in being able to provide leadership development opportunities to their Asian talent. Uh, we're seeing there's a greater interest in focusing on ensuring that um, they build a, a robust pipeline, not only of just diverse leaders, but diverse leaders that are inclusive of Asian and Asian Americans and, you know, Asian Canadians, uh, you know, Asian, Asian Brits, um, Asian Australians, you know, I mean, it's just really interesting, just, you know, on a on a more global basis, I think it's really, it's spurring a, a, a new look, and ensuring that, hey, are they really inclusive? And, and have they been missing out on an important talent base? How do you think the media's reputation of AAPI or kind of Asians in general has impacted the narrative that has maybe fed some of the racism and also corporate decisions, right? Um, specifically with the US-China relations. If I can, I'll just start with saying that, particularly in the US, the anti-Asian hate and discrimination are not anything new. I've seen some, you know, really great reporting by Asian American reporters, but I think this is something that is important for any of the members of the media to really remember to put that into context that this is there has been a long history of anti-Asian hate against and discrimination against our communities here. And in some ways, for a younger generation who may not have known the history, this is a good opportunity, I think, for them to be informed. It's also a good opportunity for people who may believe that, you know, Asians have never faced hardship for them to know that this is this is not the first and it's certainly not going to be the last as you can imagine there are concerns about how reporting on US China relationships are going to go we know that there are already concerns and there have been ongoing concerns even before all of what has been happening both with covid but also with US China relationships um and this predates rhetoric that has been going on that's been suspicion cast on Asian America as a result of what has been happening. Um, 
there's oftentimes a blurring between, especially in the U.S. media, between Asian Americans and Asians, and particularly in corporate America too, where people are not necessarily making a distinction between Asians and Asian Americans. From a U.S. media perspective, it's not to say we need to vilify Asians because, um, you know, how the reporting on Asia versus Asian Americans is going to be, is going to be basically, but that's going to be an important distinction in how the media, both in the U.S., but also overseas, um, also report as well too because i think there's already this perspective that we're we're the perpetual foreigners i think we occupy this interesting kind of gray area where people just assume that because we're asian we're always going to have our loyalties to asia and wherever that home country in asia might be and or they also assume that we would even if we're american born we would have that loyalty to Asia and that therefore we're always going to be assumed that whatever happens between the U.S. and China, we're always going to take the side of, in this particular case, China. And I'm not saying that, you know, American-born Asians wouldn't. I'm not saying that they would or that they wouldn't. Uh, But the broad brush kind of positioning is where the danger can lie. And sometimes that happens. You know, it's easy to kind of think back to World War II and the Japanese internment camps that happened both in the U.S. and, and Canada as well. Do you, do you ever fear that those hints of, you know, as we hear more of this nationalistic and populism movements rise, that these may happen again? And that's why leadership, especially uh, diverse representation, is as important than ever before. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, I think in in some ways, you know, populism and nationalism is all about just looking inward, not really being open to things that might be different. And I know that there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of change, and the pandemic certainly does not help. I mean, it brings so much uncertainty and so much stress to you know, to all people around the globe. So it's easy to just say, you know, we just need to take care of ourselves, our own. But I actually think this is when we do need diverse leadership because, you know, I'll just say studies have shown, I mean, particularly in the private sector, that diversity is very, very positive. Having diversity of thought, having diversity of, of files is a good thing for a company for a team, I would even say for a society. I think that that has what has enabled, you know, countries like the U.S. to be able to thrive in ways that maybe some others have not been able to because we have this diversity and we have people that come from all across the world who believe in in the ideal of what the U.S. is about. With that comes the desire to see also, you know, diverse leaders, because we're going to bring different ways of thinking, different ways of leading, different ways of of approaching a problem, and different ways in which we're going to work with people. And I think that that's good. But I, I also believe that people are scared. And perhaps maybe it seems easy to just say, let's keep the status quo. But It's in times like this where we can't say status quo. We have to really push ourselves out of our comfort zone. And that means looking to people who think differently, do things differently, you know, are out of the box. That's why I think diverse leadership is important. 
And I am really a big believer in the idea that the same old, same old way of leadership is not going to work anymore. I think just all around, it may not be happening now, but we're certainly seeing the the inklings of a different way of looking at leadership. And I'm a big believer that we need to challenge the prevailing ideas of what leadership has to look like. Um, there's more than one path to an end goal. If leadership were as simple as there's only one right way to do it, someone would have made money a long time ago and everybody around the world would be doing exactly the same thing. But we know that there's so many different ways to lead, so many different ways to get to the same place and nobody does it the same way. And I think that's why diverse leadership is so important because we know this, even within a group of people that might seem the same, you're still gonna have different styles. And I think that's what we have to celebrate. There isn't often this acknowledgement that the writing you do as a, as a reporter in Asia and how these narratives, uh, the framing of these narratives can kind of impact people's perceptions, even if it's kind of subconsciously. And, uh, and I think that is a real theme that people don't talk enough about, uh, probably oh, in part because yeah. it is quite so complex. So that's what that I was is, trying to get at. Oh, I think you bring up a really interesting point. So I think you're right. I mean, whether you're writing in Asia or whether you're writing um, in the U.S. or the U.K. or Australia, um, you know, anywhere in the world, um, you know, depending on where where the story runs, it gets then picked up. Um, you know, where a maybe it starts out in Hong Kong, but it it quickly goes international and and it gets picked up by you know the different um, outlets in various countries. And it's interesting. One of the distinctions that even to this day that I oftentimes still have to make is is reminding people Asians in Asia and Asians in the U.S. are not the same. It's interesting that most people make this assumption that all Asians are alike. Someone in Asia and someone in that U.S. and, and, and how we have very different life experiences. We have different perspectives as a result of it. And yet, interestingly, what happens in certain places, and especially as you mentioned, if you're a, if you're in Asia writing for an American paper, the angles by which you you write about a story could end up reverberating and impacting, even if it seems minor, could end up impacting the perceptions and the attitudes that people would have towards Asians whether it's in the U.S. or in, in, in any other part of the world. I'll give you an example. When something happens here in the U.S., call it a mass shooting, call it, you know, some other type of horrible, I can almost guarantee you, even if somebody doesn't necessarily impact, uh, admit to it, in our communities, I think there's a thought that runs through our mind. Please don't let that person be, in my case, I'll say, please don't let that person be Asian. Because when that happens, then you know that the blowback is not just on that individual. There's an impact to the entire community because the rest of America doesn't make a distinction between me, you in Asia, or whoever might have done something bad. We're all the same in that way. Using that as the example, in some ways, that same kind of way can apply when 
reporters or the media report on stories and how Asians and Asian Americans are positioned. I just hope and I just want to encourage the reporters um, as much as possible. How can we even add that little bit of nuance that will help give that additional understanding? With that note, what do you view are kind of the challenges to making API leaders challenge that narrative uh, and say, please look at uh, us as individuals and not as kind of representatives of a community? Actually, you know, I'm going to say that I'm pretty hopeful. I'm seeing that there's a lot of from within our communities that are doing just that. We have creatives, we have community activists, and we cor- even corporate leaders that are starting to really speak up and stand out and, and talk about just that and really trying to share a narrative of give us that kind of more three-dimensional perspective about our communities too. And you can see this on Instagram, you can see this on Facebook, you can see it in, you know, increasingly in the activism that's happening in the, um, in the entertainment and media space as well too. And lastly, I wanted to end the conversation by asking you, um, kind of what are, what are you looking forward to next in this space? I'm gonna end on a hopeful note. With everything that's been happening around anti-Asian hate, it's interesting in the sense that it has really helped Asian Americans really either connect or reconnect with their their Asian identity. And it's not just in the US, but I feel like it's globally. And to me, that's really exciting because in, in, in this happening, I feel like we now have so many more people you know, who are Asian or Asian American who are really now thinking about how can they be leaders? How can they be activists? How can they be spokespeople? How can they be storytellers? How can they be part of this next generation of people who are going to ensure that our communities won't be ignored or rendered invisible? And for that, I'm super excited. Well, thank you again. Uh, Thank you so much, Linda. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks once again to Linda Akutagawa for joining us today. And we hope you join us for N3Con, our annual conference running from the 2nd of August this year. Once again, I'm Dexter, and we hope to see you there.